If you're not using the chip shot, you're missing like thirty to $40,000 of in tax-free income every year. If you're not renting your home, your primary residence to your business or your partnership each year, then you're missing out on twenty dollars to $40,000 worth of free income because tax code says that anybody that has a primary residence that's not income producing or maybe even a vacation home that they're not basically profiting from, they can rent that to a third party for a, up to a certain number of days per year. And the rent that they receive from that third party is not taxable so long as they follow the rules. But the interesting thing is people are like, I don't want to rent out my primary residence to some stranger just to get tax-free income. I'm like, well, your S-Corp and your partnership is a stranger. You can rent it out to them for the purpose of business strategy meetings or board of director meetings or some type of financial accounting strategy meetings. And that's just free money, right? Hello, hello. Welcome to the Five Talents Podcast. How to build wealth like the 1%. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. I'm the principal of Five Talents Capital. We're a San Antonio, Texas real estate investment firm, and we're actively invested in 1,500 doors of commercial real estate worth $150 million, much of which is right here in San Antonio, Texas, the Alamo City, baby. I'm also a fund manager, a capital allocator, and a servant leader who learned how to invest like the 1%. And on the Five Talents podcast, I enjoy helping others learn and doing the same. So if you're seeking investment strategies to catapult your family wealth and generate passive income, even in today's volatile market, this show is for you. Because each week we're bringing you interviews with PE firms, investment advisors, financial planners, tax strategists, VC funds, and many others who are highly skilled in handling money, good stewards of capital, and individuals who advise the wealthiest 1% on what to do with their money. So each show, we're going to provide you insights and actionable steps that you can implement to become a better investor. You're always going to learn something that you can apply in your own investment journey on the Five Talents Podcast. We hope you enjoy the show. All right. Hello, hello. This is Abel Pacheco, your host for the Five Talents Podcast. We're super excited today. Mr. Mark Myers, join us on the show. Mark, how's it going, man? It's going great, Abel. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about this conversation. It's going to be fun. Yeah, man. I know you're going to provide a lot of value to our listener base. We've got a large number of people that are actively invested in real estate. We've got a large amount of listeners that are passively invested in real estate. We have entrepreneurs, business owners, people are just trying to learn a little bit more about investing. And I know you have a lot of good insight, strategies, and knowledge that will help a lot of our listener base. So I'm excited, man. I'm excited for the show. Me too. Um, Thank you. Yeah. If you don't know Mark, he's the founder of Peak Profit Solutions. And man, he's ultimately been architecting some of the tax savings as a tax strategist for a lot of years. So it's 20 years of successful business operations and high level consulting for some of his high end clients. And a lot of these people just really rely on Mark to provide them with the right path, the right strategy, advice on what to do and how to make sure that we're paying the right amount of taxes, but not paying more than we need to, right? And in some of our cases, it's it's no taxes. And the, and the reason is the government wants certain things to be accomplished in our perspective or our side. Government needs housing, 
clean, comfortable, safe, affordable housing. We're not talking about tax credits or anything like that, but they give incentives for real estate investors to go do the things that they cannot do on their own, which is provide housing. So they need investors like us and our passive investors to go buy opportunities. They give us tax credits or coupons as Mark calls them, and he's trying to figure out how to do that. And so he's going to bring a wealth of knowledge. And for those of you that have served, thank you very much for your service. Mark is also a former Marine Corps Sergeant, Bravo Company, 4th Marine Division. So Semper <laughs> Fi, baby. So he's, yeah, absolutely. In, at Peak Profit Solutions, he's really helped thousands of individuals. And so we're going to get a little bit of, of knowledge from him. So Mark, man, in your own words, why don't you tell us briefly who you are and what you do? And we'll start a great conversation here. Yeah. Thank you, Abel, again, and appreciate the introduction. I'm a strategist. I mean, I like the I coined my own title of tax savings architect because there is some architectural work that goes along with doing this. You really have to look at the set of, of facts in front of you and then create a design that will essentially reduce tax. And the one thing, I, so I would say a tax savings architect, I've been in this space for quite some time. And one thing I want people to realize is and know is I don't replace their CPA. So I'm not looking at replacing their your current tax professional. I also am not giving investment advice. I'm just sharing with individuals the two or three or four, or sometimes as many as five or six coupons. So these are areas of the tax code that they can take advantage of that will provide a discount on their tax bill. So my goal is always to reduce my client's taxes by at least 25%, but sometimes I can reduce it by as much as 80%. So that's, the, that's what I do, is I really look at that tax bill as a profit center, right? A lot of people overlook that and think, oh, I just have to pay taxes. No. Focus on that as a profit center. If we can reduce that by 25, 50% or more, that's so much more profit you have because it's such a small, much smaller expense now than it was before. Yeah. Just a little bit about me. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it, Mark. So it sounds like you have a wealth of knowledge in this space. So we'll break in to some of the technical, tactical pieces and some advice that you can provide to our listeners. But before we kind of do that, man... Give us a little bit of the insight to you personally. It's always nice to hear what what you do and how you do it. And a lot of times some other individuals listening and, you know, I, I can't relate to that person at all. Or maybe I understand exactly where they're coming from. And so it helps frame the reference for how you help people today. So tell us a little bit about your background, your story first. Did did you come from like a CPA family? Did you always think about finances? Is it something you picked up through the, how did it come to be? And just give us some of the background, man. No, absolutely. I appreciate that. I grew up and I, I never thought I would be doing something like this. I always, I was an athlete. I wanted to play sports or maybe even coach sports or be in the strength and conditioning world. So in, interestingly enough, I had two sets of parents. My parents divorced when I was young, but so they remarried. So I had family A, family B. And my dad was a successful guy in a corporate in the corporate world, and my stepdad was a successful guy as a contractor and real estate developer. So I really got to see kind of a, a lot of two different sides of the coin, like executive leadership, and then of course business ownership. So that was my baseline for just understanding finance and operations. But interestingly enough, I went to the University of Florida, 
And I got my undergraduate degree in exercise physiology. I got my master's degree in sports management. So people are asking, how in the world are you now a tax savings architect or a tax strategist? Interestingly enough, I moved to New York City after I finished my master's degree and I started working for a club company in in New York. It only had 10 clubs. It was a really high-end brand. People might be familiar with Equinox Fitness Clubs there in a lot of the big cities. Mm-hmm. And when I started with them, they only had 10 or 11 clubs, and now they have close to 100. But I did well with the organization, and they sent me out to Los Angeles, and I opened up a, lot, a number of different clubs for them in L.A. And basically in that process, I was like owner-operator mindset. And I was bonused off of EBITDA margins. So it was really all about driving revenue, managing expenses, and creating as much profit for each business, each club as possible. You were like EBITDA. So in that process, I realized... EBITDA. What's that? What's that? Okay, I love it. (laughs) Earnings for interest, depreciation, and amortization, right? So it's all about that profit line. Um, And that was the key. I was drilled in my head. Every time I would go open up a new club or maybe go to a club that was already open to kind of fix things, it was always about driving that EBITDA margin, making sure you have strong profit margins. And then over that time period, I've realized that I'm working really hard in this industry and I'll never get where I want to be entrepreneurially. So if you think about the history, instead of going like my dad route, which was the executive, I could have stayed with that company and maybe become a, a VP or something, worked really hard for 20 years and kept that really good salary. But I was drawn more towards what my stepfather did, which was his own business. So I said, I'm going to step away from running clubs for other companies. And I'm going to use my understanding of business operation. And I'm going to become a consultant to business owners. And that's what started me out in the finance world and say, hey, okay, now I'm focusing on business owners. So I understand how they think because I've been running businesses for the last decade or more just for other for the company I'm working for. Yeah. Yeah, that's what really started me out here. And then over the last decade, I've really realized that there's not that many people, including CPAs out there, that can that really spend a lot of time finding these coupons. Really understand there's seventy five thousand pages of tax code. There's a lot of things you can do to reduce your tax. That's completely legal. You just need to know how and when it would be appropriate and how to navigate that tax code to make sure that you're doing it right. So that's what I do. I basically plug into the team. And help help them put in these additional layers of defense. Yeah, that's cool. That's the way you backed up into it, right? It was through sports. It was through <laughs> the area of expertise that you had, and then all of a sudden, it kind of ended up turning towards earnings before interest, tax, and depreciation, and that kicked off one one line of expertise for you. And a lot of years uh, sounds like of success doing it. And let me pause before we keep going because. What you mentioned, I had a CPA, I did real estate for however many years before I bought commercial properties where we would raise equity and go buy bigger deals. Me and my wife invested from 2008 to 2018, so 10 years, and we bought single family properties. And I had a CPA and it would help me. And his advice was, well, because I was a high W-2 earner, he goes, hey, you need to buy some real estate. You need some tax losses because you're paying 50K in taxes, 40K in taxes, 60K, whatever it is a year. And when he told me that, my head went to, I'm going to buy a single family house. That's what I could do. Real estate, single family, go buy it. And- I later found through accelerated depreciation, cost segregation, and it, trying to figure out how to squeeze 30 years or 27 and a half years down to like three or four that I can maximize these losses. 
I was kind of upset. I was like, man, my CPA told me to buy real estate and he didn't tell me what type. And there's seven. And now hearing you say it, there's 75,000 different areas. Likely a CPA is not going to know every single piece of the tax code. And so, and then changes every year or different benefits or programs. And there's a lot of that quote unquote expertise that if somebody's focused hundred percent on one area, that's where it's beneficial to have tax strategist, tax savings architect, and you got the right tool for the right job, the right expert with the right knowledge. And so illuminate, maybe elaborate a little bit on that as well, Mark. No, and you actually set up a really important concept, and that is team and, of course, utilizing uh, utilization of specialists. Because I would say even the best CPA, even the best tax professional is, again, at best, they're a good general practitioner. So if you think about medicine, they're a general practitioner. If you need neurosurgery, you're not going to have your general practitioner do it, and your general practitioner is obviously going to only understand a certain amount. Maybe they don't even understand if you need neurosurgery, but they have a good idea based off some symptoms. And in the tax world, your symptoms are higher and higher tax liability. So when you start getting that higher and higher tax liability and your general practitioner, your CPA is basically running out of ideas, that's when you need to seek higher level strategists, not to replace your CPA, but to essentially bring in additional layers of efficiency. And that's where I come in because I always say, like, think about it. A lot of people are out there, they have, they're playing baseball in their business and or whatever their, their income, and they've got a pitcher and a catcher, and they got their CPA and they got their financial advisor. Now they get to a certain point in the game and they need to bring in their first baseman. They need to bring in a right fielder. They need to bring in a pinch hitter. And they don't really even understand where to, that, they, that these people are available and who to bring in. So that's where I'm coming in and saying, hey, let me do this analysis work. You need these additional three layers and I'll work with your team to get them done. Yeah. So that's really where it becomes a power play. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, thank you for that. The continuation of that analogy and is a great description. The general practitioner is not the heart specialist, right? And it's, uh, you have a team of individuals, team of people and the right experts to help. And everybody's in a different spot, right? Like different net worth, different income, different strategies uh, that they've deployed. And so we need a little bit extra guidance, a little extra strategy, everybody's different situation. Absolutely right, Abel. That's absolutely right. And it really is a fact-finding mission. When I talk to people, it's all about, well, let me hear a little bit about what you've got going on. How are you structured as an entity if you're a business owner? I mean, I can still work with high-income earning W-2s, but it's not. I don't have as much latitude, right? When you own your own business or you have a partnership and you can control the way you receive your income, of course, there's a lot more opportunity. But you know, there are ways to help high-income earning W-2 uh, executives that are exercising a lot of restricted stock units every year and they've got these huge tax bills. We can help them as well. It just really is a matter of looking at what the facts are mm-hmm. and then saying, okay, what coupons can we apply to these facts? Yeah. Let's, let's dig into this a little bit, right? So high-earning W-2 you have less you have less levers to pull high earning w2 earners that maybe start their own businesses start their own corporations start their own structure of having hey i have income in this area 
I also have C corps or S corps or different avenues to kind of pull provides you more levers to kind of pull, right? So maybe you can start, give a good overview. How, how do we even begin to like unpack this on where to start? Is it a level set for everybody? And then we give us a little bit of insight on like where to even begin this. this yeah, no, uh, that's a great question. And, and, and the, the, the starting point, I'd say, here's how I look at it. There's, we're looking at regular income, right? The federal brackets that go from 10% all the way to 37%. And then you've got state on top of it. So ordinary income or regular income that's taxed at the regular brackets. I look at that first, how much of that do you have? Because we generally handle that differently than long-term capital gain. Long-term capital gain is just like 10, 15, or 20% plus potentially the 3.8 NIIT. And then you got state on top of it. So I'm looking at long-term capital gain a lot differently than I'm looking at regular income. So now if we look at who can I help, all right, regular income is a little bit easier to deal with. And then I just need to understand what, where is it coming from? Like I'm going to work with a, a Google executive or a Google high-level manager or a Tesla or whatever. You got a lot of people on the West Coast that have these problems. I'm going to look at them a lot different than I'm going to look at someone that has a real estate business with, and then maybe a partnership in another entity that they're basically have big chunk of interest in this other business that they do actively participate in. I'm going to look at those differently, but I guess the starting point, if they own their own business and they can control the way they receive their income, as long as they're as long as they're paying taxes on a couple hundred thousand dollars or more of regular income, I can help them. Right? That's where the threshold starts. If they're a W-2 and they don't have their own entities, right? They don't basically have businesses that they control. It, I need a half a million dollars or more of income that they're paying taxes on to help them. And then when it comes to somebody selling a highly appreciated asset, I'd say is if they're looking at a tax bill, right? What is the tax bill that they're going to be writing if they just sell it and they don't do anything? If they're going to be pay, writing a check for over $100,000 in tax liability for the sale of that asset, I can help them as well. But anything smaller than a half a million on a W-2 income earner, smaller than $250,000 of a business owner, as far as like net AGI or tax, and then smaller than paying, they're not going to pay at least $100,000 of tax on the sale of that asset. Under those thresholds, it's really tough for me to help them. But once they push over those thresholds and the higher they go, Abel, the higher they go, the more I can help them. There's generally more coupons to use, the more income they have. Yeah. So that's where it gets pretty fun. Okay. Love it. Love it. We won't belabor this, but we I am going to ask for anybody that's not under that threshold, for those people that are trying to push those thresholds up, where are the most successful individuals or businesses or people that you serve, where are they now? Like, what are they doing? So we can all say, oh, if that's where the top people are, how do we get towards there? What, where are your most successful clients <laughs> that make the most, that get the most coupons? What are they doing? Yeah, that's a great question. And it really comes, I get a wide, diverse range. I mean, I would say on the W-2 side, most of the clients I work with are, they work for the big companies in Silicon Valley. Or in like, say, North Carolina in the pharmaceutical space, and they have a solid income. They have their salary and they have their bonuses. But what they what kills them is those ISOs or RSUs that get exercised every year, those restricted stock units. And that's when they're hitting like 
hey, I've got $400,000 worth of salary and bonuses or 500, but then I've got an extra half a million coming in from these restricted stock units that have these huge tax bills or they go more, you know, obviously goes up and up and up. So that's where I'm thinking that. So my W2 clients are generally executives for these large pharmaceutical or large tech companies. And then my second layer is like, now it's business ups. Now you can, I mean, I, I work with people that have everything from just online businesses to brick and mortar shops or contractors for real estate. I mean, you name it, whatever. I mean, we have tire retreading companies. I mean, you would it's, imagine sometimes I talk to business owners. I'm like, wow, it's amazing. I have a veterinarian group I'm working with now that has, you know, you wouldn't think an, a vet would have $9 million of revenue. <laughs> so it's like, that's a pretty amazing yeah. job you've done there. So really, when it comes to that business owner, it's all facets. And then, of course, when it comes to that sale of that asset, a lot of times I'm working with uh, people that have built a business and they're finally ready to sell it. So now they've got a big multiple on the exit of their business. Yeah. But a lot of real estate professionals that are realizing, hey, there's more to life in, than a 1031 exchange, right? There's mm -hmm. more than yeah. I can do. So, but I'm not quite sure. That's when I start helping them. So, and they don't have to be a real estate professional. They could be someone that just happened to have buy a nice asset a few years ago, or maybe even inherited a nice asset and they're looking to sell it and they're looking at a pretty big tax bill. So I would say for those people, best case scenario, talk to me before you sell it. Because yeah. after you sell it, you have less opportunity yeah. Yeah. to offset the tax. But before you sell it, we have a little bit of strategy and how we execute that sale. So those are kind of like the, variety of people I see. And then of course the, the coupons just depend on the situation. Like, okay, yeah. Based on your situation, here's your best, your top three coupons, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Thank you for the illuminating that a little bit. And I can attest what Mark is saying is I've had a number of investors come ping me and say, Hey, I've got a million dollars. I've got a million and a half, whatever. And I'm trying to reduce the taxes that because I just had an exit. I sold something and now this is in my bank account and I know I'm going to be hit with taxes. And I go, dude, you already sold it. Like the money's already in your bank account, right? They're like, <laughs> yes. And I go, well, you can scratch 1031 right, right off yep. the bat because you missed the window. And they're like, what do you mean? I go, well, you have to talk to a 1031 intermediary, somebody that knows in advance that you're going to sell it. That's not going to hit your bank account. Once you hit your bank account, it's like you missed this 1031 opportunity exchange, right? So just not even knowing that part of it. I've had that a number of conversations where they just didn't know. No, they thought they were in the tax here and there's still things you could do. Mark knows them all. I use them on my side um, with accelerated depreciation. Is the, my main go-to Mark is accelerated depreciation within the year, we buy this asset and it had 39 years, either commercial property or 27 and a half years for uh, residential multifamily. We all investing and we all do like a cost segregation study. We do the accelerated depreciation. So our, instead of squeezing our write-off from 30 years, we squeeze it down to five and we take like 20 or 30, sometimes 40% of our invested dollar gets written off in the year that we invest. And that's the main one. But outside of that, people come in and they go, oh, a 1031. I go, man, you, you need to talk to somebody before you exit. So I agree. Mark, that's I right. Agree. That's exactly right. It's always like I have that conversation. It's that 
once you've taken once you've signed that binding letter of intent or that purchase agreement, you've taken assignment of income. And once you with the IRS is in the IRS's mind, when you sign that purchase agreement, you've taken assignment of income. And as soon as you take assignment of income in your name or even the LLC that you own, the IRS is they're waiting for you. They're like, great, go pay the taxes because you so what I always like to do is let's look at how we can shift the ownership of that asset into another entity prior to the sale. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Five Talents Podcast with me, your host, Abel Pacheco. And since you're listening to the show right now, I wanted to break for a moment to tell you thank you so much for subscribing and following the show. I also want to give you access to our simple wealth case study for busy professionals that we explain how we invested in $150 million of commercial real estate to generate passive income. So I'm sharing with you how I personally build wealth like the 1% and explaining how you can create passive income in real estate without having to manage it yourself. So do yourself a favor, take a moment now and go to www.5talents.capital. That's the number five talents, T-A-L-E-N-T-S dot capital. And you can register, watch our video recorded case study, and we're going to give you access to our investment club as well. If you want to see all of our next moves, every single investment move that we make, future investment opportunities, and even perhaps invest alongside us, go to our website now. We look forward to sharing more. You can register at www.5talents.capital. And we look forward to having you as part of the club. You control that asset and that entity completely, but because you shifted the assignment of income away from yourself and into this entity, now this entity has a completely different tax structure than you would. And now you can control the assets inside that entity a lot more tax efficiently, and that just depends on the type of sale. So that's really where I'm looking at the pre-sale strategies is shifting assignment of income away from the person putting it into another structure that they completely control, but now they have a lot more tax efficiency in this and they can either defer the tax ongoing or we have structures that we can essentially eliminate the tax based on the tax code, but those have to be bigger transactions. Those need to be transactions where people are looking at least like say seven or $8 million of income Mm -hmm. that they would be paying taxes on the sale. And the reason is because for the elimination strategies, we have to use uh, a really particular type of vehicle, and the minimum is a $5 million minimum. But anything underneath that, we can always yeah. do a deferral strategy. And so it's not 1031, an alternative to 1031, where they can basically continually defer their taxes and push that down the road. I mean, literally, they can give it to yeah. their kids, and their kids can keep pushing it down the road, and they're only going to pay taxes when they take the money out. Yeah. And it's only going to be on their pro rata amount that they take out. Yeah. But if they, let's, if I catch them in a situation where they're like, hey, I sold the asset three months ago, I wish I'd have known this stuff because I'm going to be paying taxes on a million bucks or yeah. whatever, half a million bucks or five million bucks. Or, I mean, I've had people that pay 210 million, and that's my highest right now is 200. But the, the other side is after the fact, there are some things you can do. And obviously, you mentioned opportunity zones. Now, I don't come in and tell them opportunity zones because I'm not like an investment advisor. So if they already, if they don't know about it, I might introduce them to some people that have opportunity zone potential. But there are some things that can be done after the fact. 
that will give them leverage. So sometimes I can get them into a partnership. Like you said, instead of cost segregation, I'm getting them into a partnership that they can essentially put a, a certain amount of dollars into the partnership and take on some leverage as their basis. And maybe they can get like say an $800,000 deduction for a $100,000 cost in this partnership. And they don't even have to materially participate in it. So now you, what is the $800,000 deduction on their top line AGI going to do for them? Depending on their situation, it could give them three, $400,000 of tax savings, but only cost them $100,000 to get it. You know, so those are kind of the after the fact, but now a little bit, you know, sometimes it's a little bit more of a position that they might, they would have preferred to do the pre-tax, but if they're getting in that position and they like what they see, then they can do it and it works really well. So I always say pre-sale strategies, Trump post-sale strategies, just because of the flexibility, but post-sale strategies can work really well depending on the situation. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for illuminating that. We have to, part of it is having the right team. So we have to pull the team together. You've got to communicate in advance what's happening, what the strategy is, and everybody knows it. And you're trying to make these coordinated moves with as much flexibility and optionality as possible. So I 100% agree. And then hearing you say that, I always think about it from the real estate side, because we're doing real estate, we're investors in about 1,500 doors, multiple different apartment complexes in the South Texas area. And so we buy a hundred unit plus apartment complexes and they're anywhere from 10 to $20 million. And we essentially write off what we buy it and it's right off $10 million, right? And squeeze it down. So that helps a lot of people that are looking for the tax losses. But in in your side of the house, I I don't regularly work with people that are buying and selling businesses so I have no idea the tax implication. I just know, oh, 1031 real estate, I uh, missed your window. But w- what are some of the, for the business owners that are listening and the entrepreneurs, what are some of the knowledge or nuggets you can give somebody that's like, hey, I'm, I am buying and selling companies. I am exiting and I am, what are the things that they should be looking out for or thinking about in advance? Sure. Sure. Great question, Abel. And I'd say for those individuals and even real estate professionals that just have built a huge portfolio and they have a lot of passive income that they're, because you know how it goes, in order to offset that passive income, you got to buy more real estate and take more accelerated depreciation. Then you got to buy more real estate. So you're always buying more to get, to get that depreciation. So what do you do when you get to the end of that rainbow? Or what do you do if you literally are like, I'm done with buying more properties for the accelerated depreciation? now we look at some other things. So now we're trying to offset high income, particularly at regular brackets. And best two ways that I have right now, the coupons have on regular income, actually the third, I'll talk about three and I'll do it quickly. First of all, I would call it a chip shot. So if you've got a lot of regular income that you're paying taxes on, or even not a lot, even if it's, I mean, when I say a lot, say you're paying taxes on hundred grand or so, 150 grand, that's your tax liability. And that's all going to hit you at the regular tax bracket. But you own a you own an entity. Maybe you're a partner in a 1065 partnership, or maybe you have a, an LLC that you subchapter est, depending on how. So if you have those type of structures, I'm like, if you're not using the chip shot, you're missing like thirty thirty to forty thousand dollars of free money every or in tax free income every year. So the chip shot is was based in Augusta, Georgia, fifty plus years ago. 
That's where it originated. And it's called the Augusta rule. So if you're not renting your home, your primary residence to your business or your partnership each year, then you're missing out on twenty dollars to $40,000 worth of free income because the tax law says, tax code says that anybody that has a primary residence that's not income producing or maybe even a vacation home that they're not basically profiting from, it's just a nice mountain house that they don't basically rent out, they can rent that to a third party for a, up to a certain number of days per year. And the income that they receive, the rent that they receive from that third party is not taxable so long as they follow the rules. The interesting thing is people are like, I don't want to rent out my primary residence to some stranger just to get tax-free income. I'm like, your S-Corp and your partnership is a stranger. You can rent it out to them for the purpose of business strategy meetings or board of director meetings or some type of financial accounting strategy meetings. And that's just free money, right? Why can't, you know, what? So that's the first chip shot. I say anybody that owns a business independent, as long as it's structured as a partnership or S corp or a C corp, it would be considered a, a diff, another person. So now you can rent your home to the other person, and that income that you receive from your business, as long as it's done right, is not taxable. So now, okay, we took twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars off the plate. We could do it every year. That's nice. It's a chip shot, right? A little. Okay, let's take twenty thousand, thirty thousand off the plate. But what, what if they have? Mark, I've got a half a million of income. I've got a million of income. I've got three million of income. What do I do there? Okay, let's go to let's go to coupon number two on these like first first little layers. Did you know that when you donate an asset to a charitable organization, you get a deduction? You're like, yeah, absolutely. I do that with my church all the time, or I do that with this philanthropy that I love. But I don't make any money. I donate a dollar and I save. I mean, like they say, I'm in California and I got a 50% tax bracket because some of the high income earners in California are paying 50 cents on the dollar of their profit to state and feds. So I give the church a dollar, but I only save 50 cents. So it still costs me 50 cents. I'm like, yeah, that's great. I want you to understand the concept. Spend a dollar to save 50 cents in tax. But let's do it this way. Let me give you an asset that's worth $4 for a dollar. Now, do you want to donate that to a charitable organization? Yeah. Because I have a charitable organization that's willing to accept that asset and they can use it. Interesting enough, if you donate something to a charitable organization and you get a $4 deduction for it because that's the value of the asset. Well, in California, that's going to save them $2 in tax. And I gave them the asset for a dollar. So they just purchased an asset, donated it, and got $2 of tax savings, but it only cost them a dollar. That is the second coupon. And of course, they're like, hey, I'd love to do that for all my income. I'm like, unfortunately, the federal limit is 30%. You can't get a deduction higher than 30% of your AGI for this kind of cute, this kind of gift to a charity. Yeah. But that's okay. Let's take 30% off the top. Let's give you a nice little discount on your taxes because we can give you leverage on that charity. So now you're getting $4 to a charity, but it only costs you a dollar to give them that $4 asset. (laughs) I I don't think I've ever heard that. I don't think I've ever heard that one. What, what's an example of some assets that you've seen purchased and and donated before? You've heard of this. You probably just haven't read, it hasn't downloaded to, to something that you could do, but you hear the stories of the wealthy family that donated that piece of art to the museum because they wanted other people to enjoy it. Right. Well, yeah, maybe they did. But essentially, they didn't just donate that piece of art to the museum because it was out of the goodness of their heart. The museum was likely a charitable organization or a private foundation, and they basically donated it for the deduction. So they could have sold it and, and obviously profited from it. But instead, it's like, it's better for us to actually donate it because we still get significant tax savings, and that's well over our cost basis. 
So that's what that's been going on for 120 years. So what we do is we just help people turnkey that. Right. So you don't have to go out and find an asset for a discount and then hold it for a year or two or three and then find a, a charitable organization that's willing to take it. We basically say, Abel, we've already constructed a bulk purchase agreement with this owner of land, for example, in Utah. Yeah. And they own 8,000 plus acres of plush land that has this soil amendment, like this trace mineral product. And they're willing to sell it at a discount into this partnership. So you can buy into the partnership, own your pro rata share of this holding company's asset and do what you want to with it. Just so happens that we can get it to you at a 75% discount to its current fair market value because we were we negotiated this bulk term and they needed the, the cash. So they were willing to sell a good chunk of their asset because they have a lot of it at a discount because they were going to profit from it. Even though they profit a lot less than they normally do, they wanted the cash infusion. So we basically say, great, we're going to buy it from you and we're not going to compete with you in the market. We're not going to basically take this asset and sell it to your distribution path. We're going to give it to Able. We're going to give it to all these other individuals that have high income because they can buy it and donate it and basically give get a, a, a leverage on that. So, a lot, I mean, for example, soil amendment, uh, liquid magnesium, you name it, there's all these different commodities. As long as the the owner of the source has an abundant amount of it and it would take them a lot of years to sell through it, we can accelerate their sales cycle and say, if you're willing to sell a nice big chunk of that now for a big discount, put money in your pocket, we'll do it. How much will yeah. you sell for us? So yeah, that's, that's kind of awesome. where we go there. So that's coupon two. Yeah, now do awesome. one more if we've got time. We have time for one more quick one. We do. We do. Let's keep going, Mark. Okay, last one. And this will I think you'll really be interested in this one, Abel, because you talked about accelerated depreciation. And the government will give it to you, right? You can take accelerated depreciation that's, if you do it right. That's their incentive for us to do what uh -huh. we do. They they can't that's produce right. enough housing to help. So they rely on us and we do that and we get a benefit. So think about it. The, the government can't produce enough viable housing. So they want you to do it and they give you the accelerated dependent. What else do the government has the government said they really want the private sector to do for the last 10 to 15 years? And they signed a big bill, the Inflation Reduction Act last year. And they said, we love the private sector doing this so much. We're going to give you 10 more years of benefit. Solar. They love solar. So guess what? Totally. Solar is a depreciating asset, right? So you can take yeah. bonus depreciation when you buy solar. Guess what else you get with solar? Tax credit. You can get, and, and with the Inflation Reduction Act that was signed into law last year, you can get up to 60% tax credit for every dollar that you buy into solar. So imagine this, you buy into a solar project, you get a, say a 50 or 60% tax credit. And a tax credit is better than a de depreciation, right? A dollar of tax credit offsets a dollar of tax liability on the federal side, dollar for dollar. So if you buy a solar and you get 50 cents on the dollars of tax credit, and you get depreciation and you can accelerate that depreciation and you take a little bit of leverage, right? So now just like you buy a house, you got better internal rate of return if I don't use all my own money. So when you buy solar and you have tax credit and depreciation and you take a little bit of financing on top, you can literally spend a dollar on that solar project this year and get a dollar and 20 cents of tax savings this year. So you literally spend a dollar of tax liability to get a dollar and 20 of tax benefit, you made 20 cents. And then you get this carry forward depreciation for five years because of six year makers. And you get cash flow, right? Because whoever you own the panels and whoever owns the panels gets the energy payment that the building owner that said, please put panels on my roof 
is that's going to, I'm going to pay a lot less in energy costs because somebody else is paying for them. So now you just bought depreciation, tax credit, and cash flow. Guess who's been doing that for the last 15 years? Wells Fargo, Chess, Bank of America. Jeff Bezos bought $30 billion of solar last year. Yeah. Is it because he wants to make a world a greener place? Maybe, but he, bigger reasons because he wants depreciation, the cash yeah. flow, and the tax credit. Yeah. You can do the same thing. We just structure it a little bit differently than Wells Fargo does, but you can do it yourself and actually get a better benefit than Wells Fargo because yeah. your appreciation is worth more. Wells Fargo can only take 21% discount or savings on their dollar depreciation. You able, you can take up to 37 cents in the great state of Texas because you don't have to pay state income tax. So if you got a 37% federal tax liability, you got a dollar depreciation, you just save 37 cents on that dollar. Bezos only saved 21 cents on the dollar because mm-hmm. he's got to take it through a C-Corp. You can take it through your LLC that passes through to your personal and get 37 cents on the depreciation. So you can actually get more tax benefit than the big dogs do. Yeah, there you go. On the size part, it, it definitely matters. Th- these are all amazing uh, strategies and it's really great to kind of hear more about it, Mark. So I'm excited. On our side, we we have done a number of syndication properties where we've raised upwards of like $15 million on multiple different projects. And some of these raises are three, $4 million, whatever. And everybody kind of puts in a certain amount, $50,000, $100,000. I think in the largest, we've had a single investment, a million dollars, and they're as limited partners, right? And when you say, hey, at our size versus the big dogs, we're starting to see some other properties that are a little bit smaller. I can't, they're not quite the syndication route but we're looking for other joint venture partners. And this is where I think it's it works out really well for somebody with a million dollars, half a million dollars, million dollars and a half, whatever. We buy an asset that's a little sm- smaller than we've normally done, three, four million bucks, but we have this tax write-off and benefit somebody. So anyways, this is all resonating right now. This is awesome, man. Absolutely. Those are, and you know, my whole, my job as a tax strategist is to just seek out the opportunity, right? Because I'm always looking at different ways to utilize this tax code, that tax code, which group is doing it, who does it best. And then I put them in my toolbox. So when I'm coming to the party, right? And saying, hey, this person has this, well, they heard that they could reduce their taxes and not replace their CPA and not try to have somebody try to get them to invest in all these. You know, really they, I come and say, what's going on? And then I open up the toolbox and I say, here's the three different tools that apply very well to your situation. And this is the economic value for using them. Do you want to use them? Do you not? Do you maybe you only want to use this tool, not that one? That's fine. But essentially, the net result is always legally paying less tax than you would have paid if you didn't do anything. (laughs) Yeah, that is that's the goal, man. Pay pay the taxes we're supposed to and not a penny more. Right. So that's That's right. Bro. Mark, I could talk forever. I want to be just really respectful of your time. And I, I want to say thank you very much for joining. For anybody that wants to hear more, learn more, per, get some services from, please tell us where to go. But who are you looking to reach out to specifically and where should they go contact you? Yeah, thank you so much, Abel. It's been a, it's been a pleasure ta- talking to you. Thanks for having me on the show. Go to my website, peakprofitsolutions.com. Again, peakprofitsolutions.com. And that I have, you can get case studies. You can basically just, you can literally book an appointment with me for 15 to 20 minutes. And that's all I need, 20 minute conversation. I'm gonna under, I'm gonna be able to determine if there's opportunity to help you. So I always say, go to my website, 
ask for some case studies or just book a quick appointment with me. It doesn't cost anything to just have a 15 to 20 minute chat. And I'm just looking for people that are two things. They have a lot of income that they're paying taxes on regular brackets, whether it be from W-2 or from passive income that just hitting them hard, or they're looking to sell an asset and they're like, wow, if I sell this asset, I'm going to be looking at a big tax bill. Maybe I should do some pre-sale strategy. Those are the two, my two avatars are two like best clients. Like, hey, I got a lot of income and I'm paying taxes on. How do I reduce that tax? Or, hey, I'm about to sell something and it's going to trigger a big tax bill and a long-term cap gain. What should I do prior to? Those, those are the people that I can help. There you go. Reach out to to Mark, uh, hit him up and tell him you heard our conversation on the five times podcast. I would be uh, humbled and appreciative. And just to hear that you were able to win. And if you guys connect, it'd be awesome. So I'm excited. Thank you very much for joining Mark. And uh, again, I wish we had more time and be respectful of yours. But if I can ask you one more or maybe last words of wisdom, right? Is there anything you were hoping that I asked about anything we didn't hit? Maybe last bit of wisdom for all of our listeners. That'd be awesome. Uh, thank you, Abel. Uh, I would say it's tax planning is a proactive thing, not a reactive thing, right? So the sooner you're planning for your tax liability, the better. You shouldn't be like January, February and say, oh, what should I have done for my last year tax bill? No, it has to be done before December 31st. So just think proactive. But just that being said, it's not too late. We got three months left in the year. If somebody's looking at, hey, they're having a really good year and they're like, wow, I'm going to pay a lot of taxes. Like they need to reach out to me now because we got a 60 day window, give or take. And there's a couple things that they can do within this window. But if they, the later they wait in the year, the less opportunity they have to reduce their tax in 2023. So that would be. Yeah, there you go. I'm in the same exact mindset for Mark. If you have some opportunities or obligations that you need to kind of work through, five talents.capital, the number five talents.capital, ping me, or you can send me an email, able at five tcre.com. Either one of those, we have a couple of projects where we're, you know, always kind of looking for it, always underwriting, always looking at deals at any given time. And in the past, we've done syndication, but from the JV perspective, always looking to talk to new partners and look forward to it. And so thank you very much, all of our listeners, your support, your continued testimonials and reviews and ratings. It's been awesome sharing the support. So really appreciate it. Share the podcast with someone else. And Mark, we appreciate it. Thanks for joining. Thank you, Abel. All right. Everyone. Talk to you on the next show. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Five Talents Podcast with myself, your host, Abel Pacheco. We really appreciate you liking, following, subscribing, and leaving all the written reviews for the Five Talents Podcast. Each week, we're going to continue to bring interviews with private equity folks, VCs, advisors, financial planners, strategists, tax strategists, and other stewards of capital, many of which advise the wealthiest 1% on what to do with their money. So we appreciate you joining. Also, if you want to be notified of monthly future events we're hosting or attending, and if you want exclusive access to the same investment opportunities that have largely been reserved for the wealthiest 1%, many of which you've rarely ever heard about, 
Go now to our website, watch our wealth building case study and register to be added to our investment club. We're going to send you future opportunities and you'll be able to watch all the moves that we make firsthand. Your investment journey is waiting for you to take the next step. So what is the next step? Go to www.5talents.capital. That's 5talents.capital and register today. Thank you again. We can't wait to bring you the next show. And thank you for liking and subscribing.